All right, good morning. There I am. How's everybody doing? Good. It's been, uh, it's been a while since I've had a chance to share my heart with you guys. I, I thought it was just been a few months, and then this morning I went and checked. It was like last April was the last time uh, I had a chance to share what was on my heart. And today's topic is way more fun. Does anybody remember what I talked about last time? Tithing. There's a fun topic, right? And not that what we talk about Jesus has, has to be fun, right? Sometimes he offends our minds to reveal our hearts so he can move, shape us and help us mature and grow, right? But uh, anyways, looking forward to this. So um, what's on my heart is this. Mark, can you put up that first slide for me, please? All right. Church is a family. It's not a business. Because that's true, I don't need to serve, I get to serve. Not I'm supposed to serve, not I feel guilty if I don't, not I'm motivated because God's going to be mad at me if I don't, not because it's expected of me, but I get to. Like it's a privilege, I'm honored, I can't wait to come love on people because Jesus loved on me. And now I can't help but to love on people back, right? So that's what's on my heart today. And um, to illustrate, well, I guess before I tell you my first story, Paul, in, when he wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 3, he was talking about this mystery and how it's been kept hidden in ages past, and now it's revealed through Jesus. And the mystery he's talking about is the fact that the Jewish people, Israel, were God's chosen people. And then this mystery that's been revealed is now that everybody, even the Gentiles, are grafted into this family of God. And now Jesus is there for everybody. God is there for everybody who will accept them. And that's the mystery Paul's talking about in chapter 3. And on the heels of that, he says this. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So church is a family. And I think, and it's not just like element is a family. The church is a family, right? And then we have our little local gatherings within the family. And I think we all agree with that. I mean, nobody wants to go to a church that nobody feels like a family. I mean, we all agree to that. We say amen. It is a family but I'm not sure we fully understand it. I think like sometimes we get confused and even deceived. And we bring things into the family that shouldn't be brought into the family. And I say we because I'm in that as well at times. So I want to give you guys a couple illustrations of my, tell you a couple stories um, to help illustrate family versus business. So the first one, you got an image of a roof job. Here we go. This is me, my uncle. About 15 years ago, we were working on his brother's roof, his family. You know, for like five years in a row, I'm not kidding you, somebody in the family needed a roof done. I'm serious. It was like five years in a row, somebody needed a roof done. They were all simple jobs. They were all ranches. Some of them we had to tear off. Every once in a while we had to replace some sheeting. But for the most part, they were really simple jobs. And none of us are roofers, right? We used to, we know how to do it. We, we get it done. But none of us are, like, really passionate about roofing. <laughs> we're, not, we're, like not, we're not called to it. Some people are called to roof, and they're amazing at it. We're not called to be roofers. So we're not really passionate about that. But what we are passionate about, <coughs> excuse me, is family. 
So when something is done, we jumped in and did it for like five years in a row. That's what family does, right? I don't even need to be thanked. It's family. It's what I'm going to do. And nobody asked me, like none of my friends looked at what I was doing and was like, Scott, why, why do you keep doing this? This is like your fifth summer. You've dedicated a, three or four days to this real. Nobody asked me. Why? Because it's family. They get it. They realize it. That's what you do when it's family. And, you know, everybody chipped in however they could. You know, there was somebody who had a lot of experience, and they measured, they ordered materials. You know, they snapped the chalk line for everybody else who can't keep a shingle straight, right? They did all that stuff. They have, they ha- they have a different gift. There were some people who weren't comfortable at all even being on the roof. So they ran a magnet for nails, or they went on a lunch run, or whatever. The bottom line is myself, my uncles, my cousin, my grandfather, every summer for like five years in a row. We did a roof job because it's family, right? So fast forward, and the last one was like 15 years ago. So fast forward to last spring, my wife and I bought this house in Riga about 14 years ago, an old farmhouse that was built in 1913, I think, something like that. Anyways, when we bought it, it has this old original steel roof, and I knew when we bought this house, at some point I'd be dealing with that. It had, had a couple gel coats, but buy some years on it, and um, this house, man, I mean, it's a two-story, it has a crazy pitch, there's a couple dormers, there's a flat part at the top that needs a rubber roof, there's an, uh, there's an addition on the back that has a really steep pitch to it, I don't even want to get up there, let alone my 70-year-old father and everybody else who had helped me, right? So... <laughs> This is not family anymore. Throw up this next image, would you, Mark? So now, this is business, right? So I am a consumer, and I'm in it deep. Like, because I know this isn't going to be a cheap job. They have to tear all the steel off. They have to sheet the whole roof because it doesn't even have sheeting underneath it. So I call, like, eight different contractors. I ask these questions. It helps me. Like, this is consumerism at the best, right? Weed out, like, four of them by asking them questions. And then I have four of them come out, and I ask them some more questions, and they give me an estimate. And then based on their price and all my questions and their guarantees, and, you know, I checked the Better Business Bureau, and I read all the reviews, and I did all this stuff. Because I'm about to drop 15 grand, and I want to make sure I get a good product, right? And it's consumer. It is not family anymore, right? It's business. So, And there was even one point where I'm... This was during the summer, and I was home at the time, and I was working in my house. I was building an office. I was wiring, doing insulation, drywall work, and stuff like that. And there was even one point where they looked at me and said, you know how to use tools. Why don't you come up here and help us? And I said, that's what I'm paying you for. This, is, I, this isn't family anymore, right? So there's another kind of twist to this. Throw up that next image, please, Mark. There we go. So what's going on here? Anybody got any ideas? Yeah. So the whole situation, the, the whole time, was a challenge from the get-go. Even though I did my homework, and by the way, I'm not going to mention who anybody was. That's, that's not the point of this. Um, but it was a really bad experience. You know, the communication was horrible. For six weeks in a row, we'll be there on Monday. I'm not to be there on Monday. For... Me to be um, 
And then me asking where you at, and I don't hear for anything from weeks, for weeks on, or at least three or four days on end. Uh, the materials are going to be here this day, but they're not there. I just can't, nobody talks to me, there's no communication. The job gets done, finally. It looks beautiful. And I'm like, oh, thank you, Jesus. They're gone. It's like I don't have to deal with this constant battle I was struggling on, trying to love them like Jesus and at the same time be a consumer who, who I feel like I'm entitled to this great customer service as an American, right? So I'm trying to balance this, navigate this sea of loving them, yet I, my flesh is crying out with frustration about the service. So the job gets done. It looks beautiful. They take off. And within like three or four days, we get our first good rain. And my roof is leaking like crazy. We have like, I mean, it's a reputable place, you guys. I mean, I really did my homework. So this is like a fluke thing. <laughs> this, isn't, I mean, this is a reputable place. So it's, you know, at one point we have six buckets in my deck trying to collect rainwater. And um, my 100-year-old roof was a better roof than this that was brand new. And, um, and when I'm calling, there's like, Nobody, ha nobody thinks it's an urgent matter but me. <laughs> so it was a real, but here's my point. It's not family. It's business. And, but it, but I don't want to make it sound like that entitles me to a bunch of stuff either. You know, because that, that was one thing during, during, during the process, the Lord was really shaping my heart about how to love this guy. Because the other thing is, is he knew I was a Christian. You know? So it's like, how am I representing the love of Jesus to this guy, but at the same time trying to get what I deserve and what I'm entitled to or this or that or whatever. And the reason he knew I was a Christian is because about a month into this process, he came over and there was a problem and I was frustrated probably more than he knew because I was really trying to have Holy Spirit like speak and like I was trying to die to myself like we're like we try to let Jesus empower us to do. So anyways, he goes on to tell me about this health issue he's dealing with and a family issue or whatever. It was amazing, <laughs> excuse me, in that situation, in that moment, I've, all my frustrations went away, and I was just filled with compassion for the guy, and I just, I'm like, hey, man, can I pray for you? You know, I just kind of lifted him up in prayer, and um, it's funny how when what really matters comes to, in front of you, how you can forget about that other stuff, right? So anyways, that happened out early in the process. So then as all this stuff keeps building, I'm like, not only am I trying to show the love of Jesus because he's in me and I really do want to do that, but at the same time, it's like, dude, you prayed for that guy. <laughs> you know, you, got, you better. You're representing Jesus. And, and so anyways, it was a very, very challenging time. Um, but the whole, and the whole point of that is not how, to, my point is not how you choose a good roofer. My point is, that first picture, can you back up to that first one of me and an uncle? There's a really big difference between that and the next picture. That. And I think sometimes if we're not careful as Americans who we think we have this God-given right to have good customer service, sometimes I think we bring that into the family. So what if I did bring that into the family? Like, let's say Deanna is cooking burgers or something, and she's like, what do you want on your burger? And I'm like, well, I want pepper jack cheese and jalapenos because that's the best burger there is. Does anybody agree with that? Hey, I got a few. So she's making burgers for the family, and my burger comes out, and it has American cheese, 
and, and mustard because that's how one of my sons likes their burger, right? And I'm like, I specifically asked for pepper jack cheese. I cannot believe this service. I have been coming here for dinner. How long? We've been married for 18 years. I am not... I am, I, I'm going to take my business elsewhere, right? It just, first of all, she'd laugh at me, right? But it might do some real damage. Because when we bring a consumer mindset into the family, it really, first of all, it doesn't work. And second of all, it hurts people. Or what if, like, um, I, my boys do a great job around the yard, but let's say you know, one of my boys is running the tractor and they're, they're mowing the lawn and they're so consumed with whatever that they're, when they're done, they're, they missed a bunch of spots or whatever. That doesn't happen at my house, but let's say it does. So what I do this, all right, what I get online and write a review of my son and say, while cutting grass, my son drives the tractor way too fast. He becomes overly involved in the music that is playing through his earbuds. Therefore, numerous patches of uncut grass remain after he is done with the chore. I do not recommend his service. Would I do that? No. It's family. And you know the best part about this? How many people found this helpful? Zero. Because <laughs> it's not helpful. It's, a, it's, actually, it's actually hurtful. So, and while we're on the topic of consumerism or business, a business mindset, and I'm not anti-business by any sense. I happen to love what competition does for us. This is not an economic lesson. I'm trying to get us to see business versus family and how they're so, so different. What if, well, how about this? Does anybody remember um, Burger King's slogan? What is it? Have it your way. Right? What are, what are the, that's like American consumerism at its best. What, is, what are they trying to say? Help me out here. What does that mean? Have it your way. However you want it. How, what, what is it? The burger, right? I think they're focusing. It's been like 40 years they've had this logo of have it your way. If you, what is your preference? Do you prefer lettuce and mayo only? You can have it your way. Do you prefer mustard, ketchup, pickle only? Have it your way. It's about you. It's all about you. Whatever you would like, you can have it, right? And that appeals to us so we can have our preferences, our preferences met, except for me, because, and um, I'm not sure if that was Larry, but whoever else raised their hand about jalapenos and pepper jack, you can't get that at Burger King. Here it is. But everybody else, you can have it your way, right? So the problem with that is what if we bring that not just to our, like, biological family, but what about... This family. Is there another? Is that Burger King up there? Oh, there we go. The church. Have it your way. However you want it, you can have it. I prefer three hours of, uh, I prefer a three-hour service on Sunday. I would like at least an hour of music worship up front because my heart isn't soft enough yet to learn anything from the message because I because the Lord really has to work on me beforehand, and I just want it to go on and on and on because I love to be in his presence. Or, I think church should last no more than an hour, and the message should not be more than 15. You guys get the, you guys get the idea. 
right? The problem with both of those statements is what? What did both those statements start with? I. As if what we're doing here has anything to do with us. And I'm just as guilty, by the way, because that statement is me. I'd love to just worship forever. But guess what? This is not about me, right? It has nothing to do with me. Um, you know, and I think, I think it's really unintentional, too. <laughs> like, I don't think we do it on purpose. We don't bring a business or a consumer mindset into church on purpose. Like, I think we're just confused. And what we're used to doing in the world, sometimes we can bring it in here. Like, nobody goes and looks for a consumer-driven church. I mean, think about it. Nobody, like, nobody goes to, like, Deanna and I went, let's say we're looking for a new church, and we come out after their service, and we're like, that place is amazing. I think the only person serving in there was the pastor. Everybody's just getting fed, and nobody's doing anything. I think we found home, honey. Like, nobody looks for that. Nobody wants that. Right? But I think we can get caught up into that if, if, if we're not careful. You know, it's possible, it's possible for me to be saved, to recognize my need for a Savior, for the blood of Jesus to wash my sin, to be free from intentional evil, to come to church regularly, but yet my actions work against the very kingdom, I say, that I want to belong to. It's true, man. It could happen to any of us. And, and once, you're, once, you, once God brings you through something like that, and you look back, you're like, oh my gosh. Like I was so deceived. And that happens when, when we bring business into the church or a consumer mindset into the church. And like I said, I don't think it's intentional. We just get, we get, just get deceived. And the bottom line is it just doesn't work. Not only does it not advance God's kingdom, which is what he's calling us to do, but it, it hurts people, right? Which is ultimately the opposite of what Jesus is calling us to do. And this whole idea, what is the next slide up there, Mark? I'm not sure where I'm at. Here we go. All right. So consumer Christian versus Christ follower. You know, when you put, I've, I've heard that expression before, consumer Christian, and you put those two words together, and it's like, it's like an oxymoron. Like, here's one, act naturally. Am I acting or am I being natural? They're complete opposites. These are a complete opposite, consumer Christian. I mean, what, is, what does it mean to be a Christian? Does it mean I attend church regularly? Or does it mean that I've died to myself and I'm going to follow Jesus? Which means, oh my gosh, all he did was serve. He did was love people. He died to himself in the most extreme way. He died for us. Right? So does God really, if I'm calling myself a Christian, I'm talking about me, does he really want me to model what he did? Does he really want me to serve and to, to make others more important than myself and for me to be really small and for him to be really big. I mean, that's really what being a Christian is. It's following Jesus. I mean, coming and worshiping together is a really good thing on Sunday mornings, but that's just, that, it can mean nothing. It can mean nothing. And I'm not suggesting that about anybody. I'm just saying it can mean nothing. Being a Christian is following Jesus and doing what he did. So, do you have that feet washing slide? Oh, here we go. 
So what did Jesus do? Um, well, the very night he was betrayed, he washed his disciples' feet, and we're going to read this together in a moment. And then he went on to say, I model this because this is what you should do as well. Right? And let's not kid ourselves. Is there a, show that next image too, Mark. There you go. I mean, that's probably more like what their feet looked like. This is Israel. 2,000 years ago. Probably very few showers or baths, bathing happening. Very few, well, there is no pavement, right? So here's the question I have to ask myself. If that's you as my brother and sister, because by the way, when you accept Jesus into your life, you become a son or a daughter in a family. It's not just a cute thing to say because now you're in the club. Like it really is a family and you really are my brother and, and, and I really am your brother and you really are my sister. So if you came to me like this and your feet look like that, do I love you enough to wash that? Do I? I mean, I, I, I should probably examine my heart on that. Do you love me enough to do that? Or is church more of a place where we get together because that's what we're supposed to do and I want to encounter God, but I'm not so, not so sure I want family like I have it at home where we're held accountable to each other and people are concerned if I'm not growing. No, just stay out of my business. This is where I encounter God, but please leave me alone with whatever. I mean, family's different. I mean, if you think about family, like if my son <coughs> at the age of 10 stopped growing in the natural, just stopped growing, I would be incredibly, incredibly concerned. His, his siblings would be concerned. His, my wife would be concerned. His cousins and aunts and uncles would be concerned if he stopped growing in the natural. Why in the family of God would we not be concerned if we're not growing closer to Jesus spiritually? That's what family does. And at times we can just get a, it's like, why are you up in my business? Leave me alone. It's like, no, man, you don't look any more like Jesus today than you did a year ago. Let's, let's, let's help each other. Let's grow. That's what family does, right? And the best model is Jesus. So why don't you guys, let's check this out. John chapter 13. Got a Bible? Let's go ahead and uh, when in doubt, the best thing to do is check out Jesus, right? Can't go wrong with that. So as you're turning there, this is the night, and as I'm turning there, this is the night Jesus is betrayed. He knows what's coming. All right, let's start, um, start at verse 10. Jesus answered, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet, or I'm sorry, needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. <coughs> Excuse me. And that is why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and return to his place. Do you understand? Um, yeah, I'm sorry. Back up to, to 12 there. I'm sorry. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. 
You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set for you an example of what you should do, uh, an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So we have Jesus showing what it looks like to serve. His entire life was served, was service. And then we have Mark chapter 10. Uh, I don't know if I have a, is there a slide for that? There we go. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, I think sometimes um, I, I hate to say this because if 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 your heart's in, and not in the right place, you could get offended by this. And please know that's not my heart at all. But if I am not serving within the church family, I may be a consumer. And I say may because I, well, I'm not going to judge you. It's not my job, and I certainly don't want that. Um, I also say may because sometimes we can serve for the wrong reasons. I've done it. Like, that's, whenever I get burnt out in ministry, I know my motive's not love. And I've been burnt out. Like, I'm serving because I'm supposed to. I'm serving out of a religious attitude. My motive isn't love. It's like I... I'm not serving because I just spent time with Jesus, and he's so amazing that I can't help but go love people. That's not what's going on at those times, right? So we can serve for a lot of different reasons. We can serve out of guilt. We can serve because it makes us feel good. Oh, it's got a great message today, and I can feed on that. Like, that could be what, where I get my identity, or, oh, that was great worship today. You know, we can serve for a lot of the wrong reasons, too. So just because we're serving doesn't mean we're, we're spending intimate time with Jesus, right? But I think that's something we all need to consider. I mean, if I'm not, why? <laughs> you know, and uh, Francis Chan in his book, which I do highly, that book is, it, I'll tell you what, the book Gail's referencing, I'm reading it too, and um, it's called Letters to the Church. And out of all the books I've read in a long time, it has really encouraged me to get into the book, <laughs> big time. Like, I'm not really big on reading other books. I don't do it a whole lot. I prefer if I don't have a lot of time, I want to get in the book. But I got to tell you, man, this, the, the way the Lord has inspired him and the things he's writing, it really has encouraged me to read the Bible. So I encourage you to check it out. But I'll tell you, one of the things he said, he's got some pretty strong words in there. He doesn't say may. <laughs> he says, we confront sexual sin. We confront drunkery. We confront all these th things in the church. But um, consumerism is a, is, a, is a free ride, and we never, it's a sin, and we don't ever deal with it. And if we really loved our brothers and sisters, shouldn't we be encouraging them to repent, to repent from that? I mean, he goes, and goes that far. It's really challenging to think about. Um, you know, and I guess the other thing about the whole surf, you know, I don't have a passion for roofing. Like, God didn't call me to be a roofer. I'm not, like, really excited about it, but I am passionate about family, which is why I went and helped. <laughs> you know, and you'll hear people say things like, well, I don't really feel called to children's ministry. Well, I don't really feel called to the youth or whatever. It's like, what does that have to do with anything? 
I mean, that challenges me. I'm not just talking to you. I mean, that, that's a tough word for me. I mean, seriously, if we view church as a family, what does it have to do with anything? I don't really feel called to that. Huh? We're either family or we're not. Our, our motive is either love or it's not. Because we've, we're spending so much time with Jesus. Look, there's no way that I can go be intimate with the God who created me for him to work on my heart, renew my mind, and for me to not leave that situation, go out to the world and want to love somebody. It's impossible. You can't be in the presence of Jesus and not be filled with joy and love and want to go love people. He's God. He's amazing. He saved us from hell. He's constantly transforming us and sanctifying us. There's no way you could say, well, I just spent time with Jesus, but I really don't feel like loving on anybody. It doesn't work. It just doesn't work. So, um, this is kind of uh, another point here. And this is a comparison with the natural. So, personal responsibility. Is there a slide for that? There we go. Personal responsibility is a sign of maturity. Let's think about this. For anybody who, was, who is a parent. Think about it in the natural, like your children, regardless how old they are. Maybe they're not even reached this point yet. But how do we know as parents when our children are starting to mature? I mean, what's the, what is a really big indicator? Does anybody want to participate here? What is it? They take responsibility without us asking them. Yeah, it's like they just do the right thing because they're supposed to do it. They don't need external motivation to do it. They just do it. I'm like, oh my gosh, you, you did hear me all those years. You're starting to grow up. It's like you are taking responsibility. Like you realize that you're actually really small and the rest of the world's really big and like you play a role and you have a purpose and um, you're just going to go do it because you realize that life's bigger than you type thing. I mean, isn't that a really big indicator to watch your, your children grow up is when you don't have to tell them to do it. They just see the need and they're like, okay, yeah, I got that. And you watch me like, wow, they just did that without me asking them type thing, right? So is that, is that also a sign of maturity in our walk with the Lord? That we take personal responsibility, that we see that God has a purpose for me inside his kingdom, and if I'm not doing or using the gift he gave me to edify the church and to build up the church, that I'm actually not growing and that I'm actually immature? That's a tough word. That's a tough word for me, and I, that, out of everything I was going to say today, that is the thing I look forward to the least, because I have not arrived. Some of you are old enough to be my parents, my grandparents, and you could really get offended by that. Who are you to tell me I'm not spiritually mature or whatever? You know what I mean? I like, I'm not, that's not fun for me to say, but it's a point that I have to ask myself and challenge my, myself with as well. I mean, sometimes God does speak things to, that offends our minds because he wants to reveal our hearts so we can become clay again, so he can shape us into his image and to transform us. Jesus did not just come on a rescue mission. It wasn't just to save you and I from hell. He redeemed us. The old man is dead. The new man is here. We have the mind of Christ. The old is gone. He wants to transform us into his image through the power of his Holy Spirit. And if we are not serving, and I say we because it's me too, if we are not loving people intentionally and we get to, it's not like I'm supposed to, it's like I get to do it. If, if love isn't our motive, then something might be missing. 
Um, I just have a couple more points here. I'm going to go ahead and ask the worship team if you guys want to make your way up here. Um, so I think, I, what if this applies to you? I think I've been deceived. Now what? Maybe whatever the Lord said, whatever the Lord spoke today, whether it was during worship, during the message, you know, Maybe I realize I haven't been viewing my church family as actually family. Maybe it's just a place where I gather, and I really don't want people to hold me. I really don't want people to hold me accountable to my growth, and I really don't want to serve. I'm already busy anyway. I mean, if any of this stuff is speaking to you, or, you know, maybe it's not even service. Like with me, the Lord really convicted me, you guys, not about serving, but like my heart. Because I do serve, but sometimes I get burnt out. And that is a real indicator that my motive is not love. It really is. So if the Lord just spoke to you at all today during this about the fact that church is a family, it's not a business, and I get to serve, I would just recommend repenting. You know, it's like a word that we don't like in the church. It's like we don't even want to say it. Like, how dare you tell me to repent or whatever. And it's like the most beautiful thing there is. There's nothing more beautiful than getting on our knees In awe of God, recognizing how huge he is, how small I am, and him showing me how selfish I've been, and just surrendering and saying, Lord, I'm sorry, man. I'm really sorry, Father. I've really been focused on myself. You know, the definition of repentance is not crying at the altar, although that may be a legitimate response. It's happened to me. The definition of repentance is changing the way we think. It's changing the way we believe. I'm walking in this direction. I'm actually walking away from Jesus. And now I'm turning and I'm walking towards my God, towards my king. And it doesn't mean I might not fall down on the way, but because my eyes are on him, he's going to get me back up again. It's repentance. And it's beautiful. Don't let that word offend you, man. It's like you can't enter the kingdom of God without it. It's a really beautiful thing. And that would just be what I would recommend today. I'm going to share this with you really quick, a really quick testimony. I'm reluctant to do it, but I'm going to. There was a time when a friend of mine, it was during a time we were meeting with friends in a, in a home group, and during this season, this friend of mine was calling the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, without the in front of it. And I grew up saying the Holy Spirit. And as it was, as as this went on, it, like, distracted me. I wasn't angry. I wasn't agitated. But it was really distracting me. Like, maybe a little bit of agitation, but that would have been the enemy. But I was, like, really distracted. And what's crazy is during that season when my friend was saying this, every podcast I listen to, I listen to sermons to and from work every day, it's like for a week that came up every day. Whoever was talking was calling the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, without the butt in front of it. And it was aggravating me a little bit. And I'm like, Lord, what is wrong with me? Like, I'm literally not even worshiping you right now because I'm focused on three letters, the. And because I had a repentant heart and I really wanted him, and I was sorry because I felt like I was really distracted from him and I was really sorry and I wanted him to change me, he basically told me, Scott, you know me as father pretty well and you know my son Jesus the Holy Spirit is really far out there. It's really mysterious. You don't even go there. You don't even pray. You don't even want more of that. Um, so it is the. 
Like, you don't call me the Jesus when you pray to me. You call me Jesus. You don't call me the Father when you start to pray to me. You call me Father. So the fact that your sister in Christ has called me Holy Spirit, that just means she has an intimate relationship <coughs> with the Holy Spirit in a way that you don't. He's like, would you like it? Because he always follows it up with the invitation, right? Anytime he, he shows you some of his nature. And the reason I was reluctant to share that with you guys is because I don't want to, I, I think a lot of times as, as Christians, we like, we try something as a method. Well, that worked for Scott. Let me try that. No, it is not a method, man. It is a relationship. Well, let me try one, two, three, because that worked for this person. That is not, no. <laughs> it's not a method. It is a relationship. We are in love with the God who, who saved us, who wants an intimate relationship with us. So I would say let's just run to him. Let's, um, let's worship and pray as a family, and I thought this would be cool. To end this, Gail did this a couple weeks ago. He asked everybody if we would stand. And what's going to happen here, because we're, we are going to end with a, with a final song, and I'm going to join them um, for worship. So if, as you guys stand and come together, we're going to hold hands as a family and pray if you're willing to do that. And I will get rid of this mic, and um, we'll end with a song, Worshiping Jesus. So if you guys would be willing to stand, kind of come towards the middle here as a family, and we'll close in prayer. All right. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you are our Father. We thank you that you've surrounded us with your children who are our brothers and sisters. We thank you that you've not called us to do this alone. We thank you that we are stronger together than we are alone. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for Holy Spirit. We thank you for your word, which sometimes offends our hearts to reveal our, or I'm sorry, offends our minds to reveal our hearts so that you can sanctify us and help us become more into your image, not for our benefit, Father, but for the benefit of your kingdom, not our kingdom. We love you so much, Jesus. And we just thank you for your grace your constant grace that you're always lavishing on us as such a good father that we don't deserve. It's just grace on top of grace, on top of grace. And the grace is not only to forgive us. As you know, God, it also empowers us because we can do nothing, absolutely nothing, without your hand on it. Anything we do that, that is good is because of grace. And it's not just mercy and forgiveness. It's the empowerment for us to walk, to follow you, and to try and look like you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right, let's sing this last song.